Shalom, and welcome to Via Hafta Yisrael, a Hebrew phrase which means you shall love Israel. We hope you'll stay with us for the next 30 minutes as our teacher, Dr. Baruch, shares his expository teaching from the Bible. Dr. Baruch is the senior lecturer at the Zera Avraham Institute based in Israel. Although all courses are taught in Hebrew at the Institute, Dr. Baruch is pleased to share this weekly address in English. To find out more about our work in Israel, please visit us on the web at loveisrael.org. That's one word, loveisrael.org. Now, here's Baruch with today's lesson. Do you want to behave in a way that God is well pleased with you? If you answer that question, yes, then you need to also understand something that the only way that you're going to live a God-pleasing life is if you understand the truth and you think according to the truth. In other words, right thinking produces right behavior. And in this last study that we're going to do in the book of James, we see that this one, Yaakov, or James, he is going to tell us several things that we need to comprehend, we need to apply to our life, in order that the outcome of our actions are indeed pleasing to God. So let's begin. Look with me to this epistle done, written by Yaakov or James, chapter 5, and we're going to begin in verse 9 where we read, and here again, James is giving commandments, and he tells us here in verse 9, do not grumble against one another, brethren. So he tells us that we should not be individuals that complain and speak against one another. Now, this term for grumbling implies anger, implies wrong feelings, feelings of, of contempt, feelings of animosity, feelings that, that that person is a problem, rather than having feelings where you say, even if this person is behaving inappropriately, not according to the truth, what should be our attitude? As we're going to see in a few verses, the Lord is compassionate. He's merciful. Now, he does not compromise truth. We're not called to compromise truth. We're not called to accept unrighteous behavior as righteous, to tolerate this. But we can speak to one another in love with the overall purpose to see this one repent. And this is exactly what's going to be taught to us towards the end of the study. So once more, he commands and he says, do not grumble against one another, brethren, in order that you are not condemned. Now, this goes back to something that our Lord taught us, and that is the measure that you measure with is going to be measured back to you. So if you have animosity, contempt, and feelings of anger with someone wanting to see that person suffer, that person be tossed out of the fellowship, if that's the measurement that you use, realize 
God will apply that same standard, that same attitude to you. We are not called to have a ministry of condemnation, but one of forgiveness. But here again, not compromising the truth, not tolerating unrighteousness and, and injustice, but, but doing in regard to those who are committing wrong behavior, relating to them in love compassionately, with mercy, to see that they are brought to that right behavior. So once again, do not grumble against one another, brethren, in order that you are not condemned. Behold the Lord, and this is actually the word judge. It's referring to, and we need to remember where we left off last week, he talked about the coming of the Lord, and he is judge. So I want to refer to this in the proper way. He's speaking about the Lord, but here he says, Behold, in the verse 9, Behold, the judge is standing before the door. And this term for door implies a, a threshold something that one passes over to go from one location to a different location. And this is what we need to remember, that Messiah is at the door. He could, could bring forth this judgment at any time. So we need to be people mindful that, that our Lord and Savior is also the judge. Verse 10. Now, in verse 10, the first word in the Greek text is a word for an example. And this type of example is usually one of behavior or conduct. And what he says here is literally this, an example you receive of suffering evil. Now, what this tells us is that as believers in this world, we are going to suffer evil meaning evil things unkind things those things that are not what god would have us to receive but because people sin against us disobey god we will suffer and we need to be mindful of that we need to be spiritually prepared to endure and this is what this word is about enduring difficult times so he says an example you receive of suffering evil, my brethren. Now, that term, my brethren, is there to let us know that he's speaking to believers. So as believers, we are going to be given example of those who suffer, suffer evil in their life. And then he talks about how there is the long suffering of the prophets. Now, the question that we should ask ourselves is, why were the prophets always put forth as these who suffered? Remember what Messiah says at the end of Matthew chapter 23, when he speaks about how he wanted to gather up the children of Israel. And he speaks previously in that verse about those who, who killed the prophets and the righteous ones. So prophets suffered. They suffered evil. They suffered unjustly because of what reason? 
Notice what he says, and this is the reason that he gives. He says, a reason you receive of, of suffering evil, my brethren, and of long-suffering, that's that perseverance, that is, is proper patience. And here's the example, the prophets. The prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. This is why they, they suffered, because they spoke in the name of the Lord, in the character, and we could understand that for the character of the Lord. They looked at the situation, and they said, God's will, God's truth, what God is saying about this is the following. And people heard them, and they wanted to persecute, and not just want, but they suffered greatly. So now Yaakov, the author of this epistle, is telling us, as the disciples of Messiah, those who are living out the prophetic call that God has for this congregation of redeemed, he says, receive an example, an example of suffering evil. You need to have perseverance like the prophets. And, and they suffered intensely simply because they spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, that means pay attention. And the next word is a word of, of being reckoned as blessed, being accounted as a blessed individual. And what he's talking about, look carefully at this, this text. We're in verse 11. Behold, they, they accounted as blessed the ones who endured, persevere. And you have heard about the perseverance or the endurance of Job. Job suffered greatly, but do you read all of the book of Job? At the end of the book of Job, and this is the end of the Lord that he's talking about here, Job found restoration. Job found a double portion of blessing. So he tells us in this verse that, that when we suffer, wrongly, unjustly. He says here, when we suffer, realize that we should think of ourselves as blessed. And, and this being blessed should cause us to persevere, endure. He says, have you not heard of the perseverance of, of Job? And the end of the Lord you have seen. Meaning you've read how God restored him. God gave him that double blessing. And now he's going to speak about the Lord because the Lord is, and we have two words put together. The first word is the word for much, and the second word is a word of, of feeling compassionate. It speaks about something that, that, that gets you in the pit of your stomach. So you see something, and it's not... A cognitive thought first. It's not something that you say, how sad that is. I should, should have compassion for that one. This is a word that speaks about a compassionate feeling that, that originates in the, the midst of your stomach. And it produces, notice what it says here at the end of verse 11, because the Lord is much 
in regard to compassion and also merciful. So compassion is that feeling. Mercy is what that feeling causes you to do. And I think it's so significant that we see here that, that Yaakov says, this is the Lord. This is how he behaves. He is moved by compassion. And just think for a moment. If you are a good student of the Gospels, you will recall that several times in the accounts of the Gospel, you will find Messiah coming upon a situation, and the text says that he was moved by compassion. And again, that word for compassion is something that relates to the very, very innermost being of an individual. Gets to the very bowels of a person. That inner, inner person. And that inner person speaks, feels compassionate, and therefore he displays mercy. That is how Messiah demonstrated his ministry. He was moved frequently with compassion, and he gave mercy. Look now to verse, verse 12. He says, before all things. So when we get to verse 12, we know that we're speaking about something of, of high significance, of, of great importance. So he says, verse 12, but before all my brethren, do not swear. And this is a swear in the sense of, of stating something. It was common in, in several different cultures to swear by something, by heaven, by the throne of God, by the temple, by the altar. And he says, above all things, he says, do not swear. Now, Messiah taught that same thing. In fact, what we're going to encounter from Yaakov in this verse, this 12th verse, is, is similar. In fact, he quotes Messiah. Let's read it all. But before all things, my brethren, do not swear, not by, by that which is in heaven, not by that in the earth, nor by, by any type of oath. So we have two words, one for, for swearing, I swear by heaven, don't do that. Or to take an oath, do not take an oath, do not make a vow. So both of those words appear here and he says, do not by any means take an oath or make a vow, but let be your yes, yes, and your no, no. This is exactly what Messiah taught on the Sermon on the Mount. Do not swear, don't take oaths, do not make vows, but simply say yes when it's yes and no when it's no. Messiah says anything more than that is, is sin, it's evil. And here it says, in order that, look at the end of verse 12, in order that you do not fall into judgment. In order that by judgment you do not fall. So realize, when we take oaths, when we make vows and such, when we swear in the name of the Lord or, or something spiritual, it is a, a short step from there to finding ourselves falling into judgment. Now, 
The reason why frequently people take an oath and say that is because their own word isn't believed. So they take an oath. What Messiah is saying is this, have a reputation, have a character that when people hear you speak, they believe it. They know what you say, you mean, and you will do. If you have to swear, it's because you don't have credibility with others, you don't have a good reputation, and he says, because of that, you will fall into judgment, and he's trying to, to teach us if we're listening, if we're willing to receive it. Just let your yes be yes and your no, no. Anything more is indeed not of God. Verse 13. Someone is suffering evil among you. So now someone is suffering that evil. What does it say? If someone is suffering evil among you, let this one pray. So when you encounter things that are difficult, hard, when you're going through that time that requires you to endure or persevere, when you are experiencing those things that, that are breaking you, what should we do? Pray. And conversely, if someone is, is cheerful, happy, full of joy, let this one also respond by, by saying psalms. Psalms praises to God. So he has two responses for the two possibilities. You're going through a difficult time of suffering or things are joyful in your life. You're cheerful. Both times, what do we do? We go before God. We pray for his assistance, his help, his strength, his mindset in those difficult times and in those good times when we're rejoicing, when we're cheerful then we're called to give thanks, we're called to praise God, and the Psalms give us an exact example of what we should be praying and how we should be praising God. Verse 14, he speaks, If anyone among you is sick or weak, let him call to the elders of the congregation of that local assembly, the church. So when someone is sick, we have a commandment that that person who's sick should call for the elders, not sit back and say, why aren't the elders coming? Why aren't they praying for me? Why aren't they anointing me? Why aren't they doing these things that Yaakov admonishes them to do? Very simple. It begins with the one who is sick, the one who is suffering. Remember that. So we need to follow exactly what the scripture says. Look again at verse 14. Someone among you is sick. Let, let this one call to the, the elders of the congregation and they will pray for him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. Now, it's very important that we understand what this means in the name of the Lord. It is not just a formula that if we do this in his name, then it will have some type of an effect. When it says in the name of the Lord, you need to confirm to that person 
that he wants to be healed for the purpose of living and demonstrating the character of the Lord. This is why, similar example, is that in the synagogue, after the reading of the Torah, we pray for the sick. What's the connection between the reading of the Torah and praying for the sick? Very simply, one hears the commandments of God. And therefore, because he is sick, he's unable to do that. He's not well enough. He's in bed at home. He's injured because of his physical condition. He's not able to do the commandments of God. And therefore, now we have the right mindset, the right attitude, the, the proper motivation for praying. If you're sick, you want to be healed, not just because you don't want to suffer anymore, but because you want to be restored to health so that you have the ability to do God's will, to carry out his character. And that's why it says, let him anoint this one in the name of the Lord. Verse 15. And the prayer of the righteous will save. Save this one from his ailment, his sickness, and raise him up. The Lord will raise him up. And the implication is, he's going to have a kingdom experience. So he's healed, and he's going to be raised up. The implication is on that last day. And if he has committed any sins, he will be forgiven. The Lord will forgive him. Verse 16. Now, there's an emphasis here on sin. What it's speaking about here is that we need to deal with our sin. Not just ignore them, forget about them, never deal with them. No, it says, verse 16, it says, confess your sins to one another. Literally, it's the word for transgression. Confess to one another the transgressions and pray in behalf of one another so that you are healed. Now, this implies... That, that sickness and such needs to be dealt with and can be, not always, but can be an outcome of sin in one's life. Now, we need to, to understand that. My sinfulness can have a, an outcome on my physical condition. You can be sick because there's the disease in the air. You come in contact with germs, bacteria, and such. And you can be sick because of a, a physical outcome. You touch something. It's the outcome of that. But also, you can be sick because of sin. Because of an unrighteous, an ungodly, an unjust behavior. Violating the word of God. And that's why it says here, Look again at verse, verse 15, and the prayer of faith. Now, faith is involved with the truth. So the prayer that's rooted in the truth of God, it says the prayer of faith will save the one. And this word for saving is, is not necessarily a word of salvation in the spiritual sense, but this word save, sazo, can simply be healed, recover. 
So the prayer of, of faith will heal, will cause recovery, will save the one who's, who's ill. And also, and the reason why this is here is to show you that there's a difference. And will raise him up. The Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed any sins, it says he will forgive him. Now verse 16. It says confess. And it's so significant that these two things are, are right together. Confess to one another the transgressions. And pray for one another that you shall be healed. And this is a different word for healing. And this has a, a physical aspect of it. For much, and look at this word, for much. And the next word is the word for strength. Most English translations render it as prevails. So we read here that very powerful is the prayer of a righteous one, and it is effective. So the prayers prevail of a righteous man. They are effective, and it's going to give an example of the power of prayer. Look to verse 17. Someone that, that stands out in the scripture is Eliyahu Hanavi, that is the prophet Elijah. And Elijah, we read here, Elijah, he was a man of, of similar essence, of like nature, of, of similar desires, meaning he had the same, same desires, passions, but he was a righteous individual. And Elijah was concerned with the will of God. Elijah spoke truth. Elijah called others to that same truth. But he was a mere man. And what does it say? Elijah. He was a man of, of like nature to us. And he prayed a prayer. And what was that prayer that he prayed? That it would not rain. And it did not rain upon the land for three years and six months. Now, his prayer was motivated, it was in light of God's will. So Elijah was the vessel. God has a purpose. There was a will of God. And Elijah was a vessel that prayed and brought this about. That's what effective prayer is. This is what powerful prayer, strong prayer is. It's that we we hear the truth of God, the will of God, the prophetic revelation of God, and we pray for that. That is the effective prayer. That is a powerful prayer. So this is why Elijah is, is cited, given an example here. Elijah, a man of, of like nature to us, a prayer he prayed that it would not rain, and it did not rain upon the earth, nowhere upon the earth, for three years and six months. And look now to verse 18. And again he prayed. In other words, at the end of three years and six months. 42 months. Three and a half years. 1,260 days. There was an absence of rain, meaning an absence 
of God's blessing. He, he turned things over to, to this world. And we know that, that the Antichrist, his empire, is going to function for three and a half years, that same time period. But there's going to be a change. Look at verse 18. And again, he prayed, and the heaven rain it gave. Now, I said it this way because this is the word order of the Greek text. And the reason that, that it's in this order is that it emphasizes rain. That he prayed again, and the heaven rain it gave. So rain is synonymous with blessing. So there's, there's periods of time. Times of, of God removing himself from a situation. And, and that situation is going to have to play out. It's going to have to go through. In the same way that we see in the book of Exodus, for, for many generations, the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, and the Lord was silent. There was no response. But at the right time, God renewed this covenantal commitment to the people. So Elijah, he prayed. He prayed again, and the heavens rain gave, and the land, and this is a word for produce, uh, sprouted forth its fruit. So notice, there's that time period, and the message is clear. In the same way that we go through that time of enduring evil, oppression, opposition, suffering, but it comes to an end. There's going to be a change. And in that same way here, we see the same, same message. God limits that time according to his purpose. Now look at verse 19. Here, Yaakov is wrapping up this epistle, and he says, Brethren, if a certain one among you. Now, in looking at this, we're not talking about another believer. But rather, he's talking here to believers about others in their midst, individuals. And he says, brethren, if there's a certain one in your midst that, that has been deceived from the truth. Meaning this, there's an individual, not a believer, and this one is in deception. He has been deceived, and he does not believe the truth. This is the implication. And a certain one should turn him. That is, bring him to repentance. Notice what it says. If a certain one should, should turn him, let this one know. That is the one who turned him away from, from sin from the air of his way. It says, he will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sin. Now, the reason why it speaks about a multitude of sin, it's talking about all the sin in this person's life. It's not talking about someone who is a believer 
and who's fallen into deception and, and not living proper. The term multitude of sin. And it says, will save him from death. It's speaking here about a, a spiritual death. And therefore, what we find is that we should constantly be looking for opportunities to speak out to those who have been deceived, who have moved away from the things of God. Now, that doesn't imply that they were ever in the things of God, but they're moved away from where the truth is. They're not behaving properly. They're not thinking correctly. And therefore, notice what it says. He will save the soul from death and covering a multitude of sin. This speaks about the power of the blood of Messiah. The blood of Messiah does just not atone, redeem, bring about propitiation for a few of our sins, but for all of our sins. And I don't care who you are, before coming to faith, we all, we all had a multitude of sins. And now, by God's grace, through the work of the Holy Spirit, through the edification of God himself in our life, we turn away from sin. We do not succumb to the deception, the deceit, the lies of the enemy, but we want to be individuals that embrace truth, that walk in light, that manifest, and here's what's so important, that we would manifest the character of God. And in doing so, Here's something that is the last principle I'll share with you for this study. But, but as you grow in the character of God, as you know God more and more, that, that relationship with him, that knowledge of him, this embracing of the character of God is going to cause you to be more compassionate to others. It is going to bring about merciful behavior in your life in regard to others. And that's what, what really maturity is about. That we stop thinking about how this affects me and we begin to think about where is this person spiritually? And what can I do? How, God, can you lead me, empower me, give me revelation so that I can Turn this one away from this deception, away from this lie, away from this sin, in order that this person can experience salvation. This person can have all their sins, that multitude of sins, dealt with by the grace of God. This is how we should be praying, that we're used in this way. And God, when we approach him for that purpose, God, use me. In order, in, in order to turn others from the deceit, the lie, the ways of this world. When we have that desire, you're going to see two things. First of all, your prayers will be more effective. Secondly, you are going to have a different perspective. You will see others in their spiritual need.
And God will supply, as was stated, his compassion. It will well up within you. You will be merciful to them. And you are going to be used greatly in others' life for the purposes of God. And in the end, you're going to have a testimony that is indeed well-pleasing to God. Why? When we think according to the truth. When we have thoughts that are godly thoughts, those godly thoughts rooted in the truth of God are going to produce godly behavior in our life. That we learn how to live soberly and righteously in this world in order that we are effective vessels of the living God. While well, close with that, Shalom from Israel. Well, we hope you will benefit from today's message and share it with others. Please plan to join us each week at this time and on this channel for our broadcast of loveisrael.org. Again, to find out more about us, please visit our website, loveisrael.org. There you will find articles and numerous other lectures by Baruch. These teachings are in video form. You may download them or watch them in streaming video. Until next week, may the Lord bless you in our Messiah Yeshua, that is, Jesus, as you walk with Him. Shalom from Israel.